Welcome to Pastoring Out Loud, a podcast for South Cities Church in Lakeville, Minnesota. Learn more at southcities.church. It's cold outside. Indeed. I know. It's going to get warm, though. And I just looked up, and you've just removed your stocking cap, and I've been confronted with a a wall of hair. Is that what you standing call it? Standing <laughs> straight up. Mm-hmm. I just, I was surprised. I've been confronted. <laughs> I, was, I wasn't it, expecting that, that and feels, I looked up. Feels, feels like strong language. <laughs> Is it as high as 1500 Stadia? <laughs> I don't know. No, it's not. Okay. <laughs> so my hair is not like the walls of the New Jerusalem. Hey, um, man, it's going to get warmer over the next week. It is going to get sure significantly is. warmer, which will be Praise the Lord. very nice. Uh, very nice. I'm headed it's to... Been a, it's been a really hard week of cold this winter. Yeah. One week, yeah, that's true. That's true. I feel like, very spoiled. If if Minnesota, Nick was like negative thirty wind chill just one week, would you be like, I don't need Los Angeles, like I don't need California. What's well, California? It still needs the ocean, and, yeah, you know, and just, runs on the beach and stuff. But yeah, there's all sorts of stuff that's great about. It would make him consider moving away. <laughs> less often. Less often. <laughs> Is that a crisis you have on the reg? I mean, not like not a real one, just not like I, actual practically, but in my fantasies, yeah. <laughs> you have an existential moment where like the beach would be nice. Yeah, yeah, I think we all have that. We if you could move that. the church and just everybody you love out there, yeah, you see. So this is not an existential crisis. I would actually, I, I would actually do that. <laughs> I'd be like, hey, can we all go do this thing? I would do it. There's a new development in Florida. That's right. Minnesota, everyone. Minnesota <laughs> needs a little Christians off. too. Like, it does. Like, a little much. Like little to culty. the ends yeah. of the earth. <laughs> and this feels like the ends of the earth in this uh, kind of tundra type world. But we're talking about here, like what happens after it gets to the ends of the earth and the end comes. Because that's what Revelation is about in part. Thought we'd do a couple episodes about uh, kind of background for interpreting Revelation. So uh, I can't draw a picture here, but I think like, hey, like, like, what are some common ways that you guys have heard like Revelation interpreted that you're just like, ooh, that might be a bridge too far. What? <laughs> that might be like, like you know, the we talked about this last episode or two episodes ago. You know the. The uh, locusts in chapter oh. nine or Apache oh, helicopters, you know, uh, I've, I've heard, man, I've heard tons of, inter- but like, have you guys heard like interpretations of revelation sound really out there? I, w- I would just say that I think history has proven <laughs> that <laughs> anytime people, and it happens in almost every generation that anytime people are very certain about certain events and things being the things that are yeah, talked yeah. about in yeah. Revelation. And that makes them predict very specific times and places. Yeah. And then those things throughout history do not actually happen. I think that, mm. I, so I, I would just say skeptical about all that kind of stuff. Oh, I know, about, I know yeah. you're skeptical, but which ones are your favorite? Well, the, the oh. craziest one I've ever heard is that back in 2008 when Barack Obama was elected, I at a Bible study and someone was talking about the abomination of desolation. And they were without irony. And they were like, guys, the, Obama nation. They were, that was without irony. Oh yes. Oh, okay. Yep. For sure. Okay. I, uh, that's the know, craziest one I've ever heard <laughs> from history. Um, there was a guy 
in the village of Munster after the Protestant Reformation. That uh, this is a lot different example than said, I, well, that was a modern <laughs> one. Now let's jump back, you know, five hundred years. Let's jump back to Munster. You know who uh, might be the place that Munster cheese actually comes from. Oh, like, I, I think. Um, <laughs> Ethan's so. over there miming eating cheese. <laughs> no, <laughs> Ethan Munster. is hungry. It was. One of the uh, the Anabaptists before the Anabaptists were all pacifists, you know, Mennonites and Amish, uh, you know, the the rebaptizers. That's what Anabaptist means. Uh, were actually pretty militant, and one guy, uh, you know, got for himself sixteen wives, uh, overthrew the Protestant government of Munster, and declared that he was one of the two witnesses huh. from Revelation eleven, and basically said to, uh, That's convenient. Like, he's basically like, hey come at me. Like, even if I die, I'll be resurrected. It's one of the rare instances during the, um, like the Protestant and Catholic wars. I think the 30 years war specifically where the Protestants and the Catholics put down their weapons against each other and cooperated to invade Munster and depose this guy because he was convinced that (laughs) like that the prophecy in revelation 11 was about him. That's a crazy one. Well, there's safe, that. Is it, I mean, safe to say he wasn't <clears throat> resurrected? He was not resurrected. They, uh, just making they, sure it like, something. Yeah. They, <laughs> I think it was something like, you know, he said something like, even if they draw and quarter me, like, you know, the, God will bring my, the everything back together. And so they draw and quartered him and then like burned those things and then like dumped the ashes in like multiple rivers. Oh, like basically like mocking what he said. Hmm. Oh, Good times. Like it's kind of like the end of that one, that one uh, movie, Braveheart. Remember that? I do. Mm. Yes, that's a pleasant picture. Not really. So there's some crazy interpretations yeah. out there of Revelation. Yeah. Um, so how then do we go about not veering into crazy town, but staying on? Uh, well, it's a title of a book actually. I've been reading. Uh, I think it's something like uh, reasonable, like like reasonableness and revelation. Yeah. Like how do we stay kind of in the 80% of like, this is confidently we can talk about this. What are some good guides? What are some good keys? Well, it seems like what we're talking about in this podcast is one of the most important ones. So I think where where it often goes wrong is that obviously an apocalyptic literature, there's a lot of symbols, there's a lot of pictures, which I think are, are very helpful to kind of incite our senses towards what's true and what's real. But obviously those symbols and pictures need interpretation. And it seems to me like the things we just talked about where those things go wrong is that people try to interpret them mainly looking around at their present day context and identifying what those things might be in their present day context. And I think that we would say that almost all the symbols that are used in the book of Revelation would have been familiar at least with the original readers who received this because you can locate almost all of them back to Old Testament texts and Old Testament pictures. Which gets it just a key biblical interpretation principle in general is that when you're interpreting texts, you need to do so in light of the whole Bible. Yep. Right. Yep. And so you can't just take it and divorce it from where it's supposed to be right. in the storyline of the Bible and what's come before it. And so what we're saying is that there are themes and there are 
symbols and there are things that are there that have to do with the rest of the Bible. So that's how we should interpret them. Yeah. Yeah. As opposed to like, we start with what we see in our world, the new, the kind of like, yeah. Look at, look at the newspaper. Oh, this kind of sounds like, you know, whatever. Um, we, we can get to there, I think based on reading revelation, but that's only after it goes through the other grids of like, like I think just the analogy I would use is like keys. Like there's where the keys to unlocking revelation, like you said, Nick, during the rest of the Bible. Yeah. Well, and, and, and you would, I think you would agree that the way to get there is not by interpreting the symbols in light of today, but going, oh, where do we see these symbols? Here yeah, they are yeah. in the Old Testament. Here's what, here's how the early church would have received what was being talked about. You know, like if you want to talk about like, what is the beast and how is it described and how the readers have received this? Well, then you might be able to recognize beastly things in our world, right? After you've gone back and done the interpretive work. Mm -hmm. And I think that, I think we should do that, (coughs) but it's not like you look for symbols and go, oh, so... You know, like like maybe Nick's example, there's the one, you know, necessarily, right, right. but you're looking for right. patterns and other things that these yeah. symbols point to that we've seen throughout the whole Bible. Right. Yeah. I think the other key that uh, is big, I mean, some, so I think the three that I've been explaining in the Sunday school is there's the Old Testament. That's one set of keys, like a big key ring. Um, there's the reader's original context that's another key ring because they're facing a real beast in the Roman Empire in their day. And then the rest of Revelation, because Revelation sometimes hands us the keys. Mm. Like sometimes it hands us the keys to the Mustang and says, go drive. And mm-hmm. like, oh, great. That's really nice. Mm-hmm. So um, but an example of this, I'll just bring up one. You guys can bring up some others. But like, you know, uh, I think in our read through um, of Revelation, I said something like in we were reading through Revelation 8. And it's got an angel, you know, or a, no, it's a mountain burning with fire that's thrown into the sea. And I said, um, in chapter 18, um, an angel picks up a stone and throws it into the water and said, so will Babylon be thrown in. And I, I said something like, you know, this is, I think what's happening in chapter eight is a picture of what happens to Babylon. And somebody had a question like, is that a real good connection? So we went to um, Jeremiah 25 where it's where uh, I can't remember the verse, but like it's literally like Babylon, I will make you a burning mountain, and then later in in Jeremiah it says she'll be thrown into the sea. So the the kind of key of like oh a mountain is Babylon as opposed to a mountain is like a literal mountain or right. a meteorite falling into the sea or right. some right. other symbolic thing like oh, here's a stone being thrown into the sea in chapter 18. That's kind of like a mountain. Maybe that's not the thickest connection. Oh, here's a direct text that says like just about word for word that Babylon is a burning mountain like that I'm going, that God's going to yeah. bring judgment on. So it's that sort of thing that draws multiple texts together and says like, oh, well, maybe this is a little bit thin. Is there anything thicker to go elsewhere? And often there is almost, I'd say every single verse in Revelation has at least strong echoes of Old Testament stuff. Yep. Are there others you guys think about or what would you say about what I just said, Nick? No, yeah, that's, I I agree. And I, I just love, I was thinking about this. I love that we're doing Revelation right after we did Genesis. Yeah. Because there are so many themes that start in Genesis 
that find their fulfillment in right, revelation. Right. I thought about that for my sermon was <clears throat> actually like doing more of a thick callback. Um, so this is coming out a couple weeks. Maybe you can do this, Dave, in your sermon, but like God's people in God's place with God's presence yeah. is the story of the entire Bible, right. Revelation included. I didn't use those exact words, right. Right. but that's certainly what the sermon was largely about. Right. You can, you can uh, clean up my mess. On, no, uh, he on didn't Sunday. make a mess, but I think, but I think, you know, there's, there's a, there's certainly like apocalyptic pictures we get, you know? So I think if you think about like the throne room in revelation four and five, we certainly get, uh, they certainly feel like echoes, you know, coming from Ezekiel or Isaiah. Uh, if you think about the new heavens and new earth as a garden city, yeah, you certainly yeah. see that in Genesis yep. um, and other places. And, you know, then you see it in the temple. The temple is kind of this garden city with the way it's designed and the various things that are supposed to be engraved. Yeah. Uh, you know, you think of what Jesus is described like in chapter one, which is a couple weeks away preaching but you go back to Daniel 7 and other places in Daniel, and man, sounds a lot like yeah. that person there yeah. talked about in Daniel 7. And so I think that, I just think it's, I mean, it, it really is all over the place in more maybe obscure apocalyptic kind of prophecies from the Old Testament, but then also just, you know, these really, really big themes that run through mm-hmm. the Bible. Like you said, like God wants to be with his people to enjoy his presence in a place and man, here's, here's a garden and here's a garden and here's a gardener, you know, here's a tree of life and here's the cross and here's yep. another tree of life at the end. And I, so I think that there's in big and small ways, there's echoes and typology and references, um, callbacks as it were to things that the people of God probably already read and, and would have had in their mind. Any other examples? You, I mean, you just named a whole bunch of like, yeah. uh, like various uh, things and categories. Anything come to I mind, mean, Nick? Well, I, Ethan, just another theme stuff. that I was thinking about actually just last week was just like the waters of judgment. Mm. Yeah, and how you know it starts back in Genesis, you know, with the flood and Noah passing through the waters of judgment, and then Christ, you know, fulfills that and passes through the waters of judgment yep. for us. Both we see that in his baptism and then at the cross. And then in, when we get to the new heavens and the new earth, curiously, the sea is gone. There's no more the sea. And the, it's not that there's not going to be any literal water. It's it's that what it was symbolizing right. is gone. Right. So there's just that's just like one theme that yep. is yeah. present throughout the, the whole storyline of the Bible and yeah. finds its fulfillment in Revelation. Right. It's just like, oh, that's, that's a helpful interpretive grid. Right. So I think there's kind of four domains in which we can, like, if you're like, oh, let me think about this a bit more in terms of revelation. There's uh, four particular ways that you can go about, like, finding them. Uh, They're not, and these are not mutually exclusive. Sometimes they overlap. There's the lexical domain. That's just words. Like, it says mountain in Old Testament. It says mountain in Revelation. Oh, are there other things that help me connect that? There's syntactic syntax, which is phrases. So exact phrases that are, you know, the lion of the tribe of Judah. Yeah. You know, it's that, that kind of thing. There's conceptual ideas, kind of the garden city. It's a bit more specific about garden. It says the tree of life, Mm -hmm. Um, but some of the other details, it's a bit more conceptual. And then there's this kind of pattern, which is typological types. Mm -hmm. 
that like you see borne out in different ways. So um, the lamb, well, man, we got loads of stuff about lamb language all the way back to, right. you know, I think Genesis, I, w- I would include yeah. Genesis three. Yep. Um, you know, God, uh, where did these lamb skins come from for more of these, these animal right. skins for right. Adam and Eve. So it's kind of those four areas that you can like dig in and say like, you know, are they just like, you know, it's just like, uh, some kind of like just randomly pulling stuff out of the air. No, the Bible fits together this way. Right. And it's one of the most shocking and most like, this is a divine book kind of thing for me that 20 plus years ago, even apart from revelation, um, I was like, this is not just like any other book. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, this is, this is, uh, unique. Anything else you'd say about old Testament and anything along these lines? Like, Again, I think it's just like the original readers go back to like yeah. the comment, like the original readers are hearing sermons on Sunday morning. Where are they hearing sermons from? The gospels have not been written yet. Right. Some of Paul's letters have probably circulated, but maybe they don't have copies of them. Right. Um, they would have like been read to a congregation and passed on typically. Um, what's going on? They've got the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. And so if last year, you know, Pastor Apollos preached on, you know, Jeremiah, and now I'm getting a letter from the Apostle John, and, oh, they've got, like, three or four things here. Or, oh, a new heavens and a new earth? That's from the Isaiah scroll that yeah. so-and-so preached or, you know, swiped from the synagogue for five minutes, you know, <laughs> while they were all sleeping on Sabbath and <laughs> ran it back to their, you know, we don't know, all their <coughs> access points for all of their scripture texts. <clears throat> But uh, that the Bible, the Old Testament is the Bible of the early church. Mm-hmm. And therefore, they would have been very familiar with it. This would not have been like, you know, like out there for them to see uh, right. all of this in light of the Old Testament. Right. And we even, we even see that with some examples of sermons like in the book of Acts. Yeah. Yep. And in other places, the way they were preaching from the Old Testament and pointing to pointing to Jesus, you know. And so I think I think that's a it's a helpful way to kind of put ourselves in the place of the early listeners and say, oh yeah, that is that is kind of how it would have happened. I think that's helpful. All right, bros. Oh, go ahead. What do you think of uh, the Book of Enoch in relation to Revelation? Yeah. So there's um, there's are there multiple Enochs? I think there are multiple yeah. Enochs. I mean, I've read them. Um, I've got copies of them in my office. Some of the similarities are really striking. Um, but it's tough to know when Enoch's composition happened exactly. And I think a lot yeah. of the those kinds of books are actually a little more dependent upon Revelation rather than the inverse. Sure. Sure. But I do think there's some pretty significant like structural things that you see, like um, stuff that gets repeated multiple times but zoomed in on. Mm-hmm. In a book like uh, Enoch, you know, which is this is just apocalyptic literature, which is I don't I don't know. There's like 40 different books, not all of which we have yeah. everything from, and it's just like typically for Jewish audiences, typically steeped in Old Testament, and typically yep. you know uh, involves, although pretty pretty uniquely, um, I think all the other apocalypses have essentially Israel going the way of the zealots getting rearmed and killing whoever's oppressing them, like physically. The revelation doesn't really seem to 
to do. It's the armies of heaven that ride behind Jesus in chapter 19, and the armies of heaven don't do anything. Jesus just destroys his enemies with a sword out of his mouth. Um, and so the that's like one, I think, significant difference. But there's, mm. I think they're interesting to read, and you can mm-hmm. see a lot of similarities. There's lots of stuff in almost all of them about a new Jerusalem. Um, yeah. Not exactly depicted the way that we see it here, but um, I think they're worth worth reading and considering. Yeah, I, I wonder not, how... I would not treat them as like yeah. keys to oh, really for sure. interpret. Yeah, definitely. Definitely grain of salt more. Uh, I wonder how uh, original audiences would have considered them yeah. Had in they been light around. of yeah. Revelation. Yeah, we we're not sure if they did if they were aware of them or not. Right, they were just um, buried. Yeah, somewhere. yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, you know, and that was the thing about Revelation. Like Revelation was a late addition to the canon because you had heretics in the early church that were like saying, like, look, Revelation with all these ecstatic visions, we we can have ecstatic visions too, and like contradict, you know, uh, all mm-hmm. kinds of other stuff we see. That was like Marcion, who's like, we can only trust the gospel of Luke and we can only trust like, uh, like Luke acts and all of Paul's letters and revelation. So, uh, the nature of apocalyptic literature was like, it's like in dispute for a season, mm. um, in the early church, mm. mainly by who was because of who was abusing it, which I imagine was the case for the other apocalyptic letters yeah. too, to some degree. Yeah, that makes sense. Well, bros, next week we'll come back. We'll talk about that context. We'll talk more about the context. Um, this will come out after Davis preached his first sermon on chapter one, but before the second sermon on chapter one. We'd love to hear more feedback. If you have questions, if you have particular things, I can imagine we'd have a Revelation mailbag or two coming maybe in the spring or something like that. Uh, we would love to hear from you. So, guys, thanks for joining us today.